0: Today on Your Money, Your Wealth podcast number 408, Joe and Big Al discuss asset location strategies and focusing on liquidity and building up tax-free Roth IRA money before an early retirement. Also, in no particular order, how exactly is growth taxed in your taxable accounts? What are the pros and cons of rolling an employer retirement plan into a traditional IRA? How are stock futures determined and why does stock price matter anyway? is buying eight-week treasuries a good strategy? And if you're planning on making a killing on eBay or at your next garage sale, the fellas get into the weeds on how to maximize your tax savings when you sell your old junk at a loss. Visit yourmoneyyourwealth.com and click Ask Joe and Big Al on air to send in your money questions via email or priority voice message. I'm producer Andy Last, and here are the hosts of Your Money, Your Wealth, Joey Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA.
1: Uh, Happy holidays, everyone. Uh, Let's get right to it, Andy. Do we got, is this a recording or is this, or do I read this?
0: We do have a recording. We can hit that one right up at the top. Here we go.
1: Hey, everyone. This is Mark. I live in San Diego. I'm 32 years old. I work in a shipyard. And my drink of choice lately has been O'Doul's. But I can't argue with a good cold Coors Light. I ride a 1974 Centurion road bicycle. But for fun, I have a 2019 Yamaha MT-10. I don't have any financial questions. I just call to let you know, to know that I finally finished every episode available on iTunes and how much I love this show. I recommend it to
0: everyone. And I think you're doing a great job. Keep it up.
2: Wow. How about everyone? That's probably a first <laughs> that we know of. not wonder why he's drinking all duels.
0: <laughs> That's 407 <laughs> episodes he's
2: listened cut. to. A lot of It's just sobered him up. You know how, how funny. So I had a Centurion road bicycle in 1974. You did? And you were like I, 52 years old riding it? No, I was a kid. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I remember having that bike. It was white. It was cool. It was a really cool road bike. It was one of those, you know, with the curly... Um, the handlebars oh, right you yeah, lean yeah, yeah, yeah. over. Uh-huh. Yeah. Really like that thing. Oh, wow. So, and Mark is 32 as my son is 32. So I'm guessing it's his dad's or his mom's old bike. Well, you know, he might go to a little antique shop. Too. Maybe, maybe so.
1: Well, very cool. I wasn't expecting that. I should probably be a little bit more prepared. Um, <laughs> I thought that was a question. So, um, well, every episode. So thank yeah. you very much that's for your pr- support. That's pretty good. I really appreciate you spreading the word there for, uh, you know, your money, or wealth, followers. So uh, let's dive into this one here. This is uh, Michael. Um, I enjoy your presentations, and you keep me informed and laughing. I drive a Toyota Sienna minivan. I drink most anything. Love this guy. <laughs> that sounds like you. Yeah. I was going to say a man after Joe's heart. Oh, <laughs> uh, could could you um, answer the following? Okay, how are stock futures determined? Um, other than the market open futures seem to have no relevance to stock prices later in the
2: day. Who determines futures? Oh boy. <laughs> Did you get your CFA hat on there, big Al? CFA. Yeah. We got uh, Robert Nowak and Brian Perry of Pure Financial that helped us out on this show because the answer is we don't know. Yeah. yeah derivatives
1: there. I mean, it's a very complex
2: security. It is, and It's yeah. It
1: follows closely. Because it's overnight trading, right? Yeah. So you're not buying the actual index. You're not buying the stock. You're buying uh, the derivative of the S&P 500, let's say.
2: Yeah. So, right. So, yeah, S&P 500 future follows the index. And it it basically, I think people watch it when the market closes to open to try to figure out where it's going. Right. Right. But it it has very little uh, relevance. Relevance?
1: It's got a little relevance, too. You know, it's got some relevance. Uh, very little relevance um, later in the day. Um, so you sure. you look at what people are doing overnight and uh, what are they buying and things like that so it's kind of a trending mechanism uh, probably for the open you know so it, it's tied somewhat closely but yeah if you're trying to you know look at the futures and, and trying to you know get in right in the morning and think <laughs> it's going to go up you're probably already
2: too late. Probably, yeah. And I'll read the first couple sentences of what Robert and Brian Perry wrote. Uh, They said they're derivative securities, which means they derive their value from another asset. So, for example, S&P 500 futures derive their value from the S&P 500 index. They both move hand in hand. So, if the S&P index closes up 2%, the futures will also close up around 2%, not exactly, but around 2%. But the futures also trade after the stock market closes. So overnight and, bef- uh, and before the market opens, the futures give a good indication where the actual cash index will open, which is basically the link between the futures and the market. Right. So I think that's a good enough summary. Right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, he's got another
1: question here. He goes, why does a company care about the stock price? Haven't they already sold the share? Other than employee compensation being tied to the stock price, what is the relevance? Let's see, he likes Well done. Too, uh, yeah. To, to the company. I must be missing something, but it seems similar to me selling my car and then worrying about the value. I appreciate your show. Thank you. Um, well, a couple of things in regards to the stock price. A lot of companies hold their own stock on their balance sheet. You know, there's right. a lot of stock buybacks that you might have heard of in recent years. But but I think he hit the nail on the head is that a lot of executives um, are compensated via the stock. Uh, there's you know restricted stock, there's stock option plans. There's all sorts of different things that people or, or, or companies want to get their employees involved a little bit more in the overall success of the organization. Sure. And so they reward them with stock. And if the stock price goes up, well, their compensation will go up in regards to whatever executive type compensation plan that they have.
2: Yeah, exactly right. And and many companies have plans for all employees, right? So all the employees have restricted stock units or at least the key ones or stock options. So the employees have a vested interest in having this thing grow. Now, of course, the other part of this is, it's kind of a scorecard, right? It's, if, especially if you're an executive. Well oh, for sure. If you're the CEO of the company- And the and stock and the the market stock dives, you're like, fired. Yeah, how, how are you gonna get another job, right? <laughs> you're well, done. Let's see what you did for this company forget it right but but that's a really
1: good point because you know once a company goes IPO it's like they raise the capital and then now the stock is on the market and other people hold that stock and so it's it but, but even though companies still own their own stock but the majority of the stock is is already distributed out of the company right so it's a really good question it's like well why the hell would it he care? Right. Well, there's many reasons why they care.
2: Um, yeah, but but it, it is a good point, as you say. IPO. What's that? It's uh, initial public offering. Thank you. Okay, slipped my mind for a second. So so in other words, a company does an IPO because what, they want cash. They want capital. they want cash, right? So a whole bunch of people buy shares in their company, and the money comes into the company, right? And the company uses that money to hire new people or or R&D or something like that to build for the future. That's usually what it's for. And in some cases, some of the key people take liquidity. They they take some shares off the table. So that's part of it too. But so typically once the money comes into the company, it's all done, right? And so now one person A is selling to person B that has nothing to do with the company. So the question is why should the company care? And the reason is because of compensation issues for key employees and sometimes all employees right well, well you look at bezos you, you don't think he own it he, he owns a little bit of amazon yeah and you think he cares i think, I he think cares. so right
1: i think he cares so all right really good question thanks for uh that i uh, got one coming in from nashville tennessee hey there my name is renee and i drive a sexy 2015 honda odyssey Ooh. enjoy
2: <laughs> you, you kind of kind of visualizing that yeah sexy
1: yeah yeah I also enjoy a cold Nick Ultra from time to time. Okay. Yep. Not a big fan of Mick Ultra. I like this. Yeah. N- really nothing there. Nope. I, mean, I like Coors Light. Nope. And Coors Light is nothing there. I mean, yeah, you have a I, Ultra, I, I, right. I will say there's not it's much right. flavor. It's like spark, sparkling water. <laughs> Got a question for you. But first, a little background. My husband and I are 45, combined gross income of $280,000. In addition to my mandatory DCP plan, through this university, we max out his 403B and my 401K with pre-tax dollars. He maxes out his 403B with Roth contributions. With the addition of my traditional IRA from a previous 401K, we have about $900,000 in tax-deferred assets with about eighty five fifteen allocation. So 85 stock, 15 bonds, I'm guessing. Yeah, me too. Okay. With his Roth 403B HSA maxed in 529 plans, we have about $1.2 million total investments. Uh, with only $20,000 of that in a brokerage account that I just recently started. If all the stars align, we wouldn't be opposed to retiring at 55, but could easily go part-time if needed. Uh, no debt except $100,000 in the mortgage, we will be paid off in about four years. We got 40000 in the money market, two boys that will be going to college in six to 10 years. I just discovered your show, uh, which is amazing, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) And and I'm now second guessing our retirement fund location due to RMD and lack of liquidity if Roth conversions come into play in the future. All right. Would love a spitball analysis on if we need to pump the brakes on that tax deferred and concentrate more on liquidity and Roth. I obviously want to get the employer match, but thinking we may need to switch gears. After the new year, I will also have access to additional after-tax option that can be converted to a Roth uh, within my 401k. So to recap, we contribute $70,000 per year. That's a, that's a lot. That's a hefty sum there. We got his 457B, which is pre-tax, his 403B, which is Roth. Uh, she's got her 401k, employer match up to 6% uh, traditional pre-tax, With an option now to contribute to Roth, Uh, this new after-tax option within the 401k. So that's going to be the Megatron backdoor barnyard (laughs) Roth conversion. Yes. Uh, We got a little uh, brokerage backdoor Roth for him, not counting his mandatory DCP in that $70,000. Okay. So they got 70 grand that they're saving. Right. I guess the question is going to be, uh, where should they be
2: allocating that? I think so cash flow let's see
1: all right if I want to go ahead and start those Roth conversions this year I just want to make sure I'm good to go with the pro rata rule I have a traditional IRA that has funds strictly from a traditional 401k rollover pro rata doesn't apply here correct yes because it's in an IRA yeah uh, incorrect it applies it applies yes Additional information to add it if needed. We have $400,000 in equity in-house. We'll probably need around $100,000 in retirement income, no pension. I think I left those details out. I stumbled across the podcast when Googling a question regarding retirement two weeks ago. I've been binge listening ever since and spreading the word.
2: You guys are awesome. Much appreciated. On a little Google search. Yeah. yeah then we, Big Al comes up. We came up on a Google search. Yeah, How about that? That's crazy. <laughs> never Google yourself? I've never. <laughs> I don't want to. There could be some pictures up there.
1: Could be. Yeah. All right. So she wants to do some Roth conversions. Yeah. You know, they're, they're saving a ton of money. And then it's like, okay, they want to retire in a few years. She's 45. They want to retire at 55. Uh, they have roughly a million dollars in assets. Yeah. And so they got a 10 year window. And so they're thinking, hey, should we start converting now? Um, or where should they be putting the seventy thousand bucks? Sure.
2: All right. Well, what's 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 your stab there, Big Al? Well, let's see. So they're saying the income is two hundred eighty thousand, and assuming there's roughly a thirty thousand dollars standard deduction, just to make the math easy, right? So that's so that's about two hundred fifty thousand of taxable income. The top of the twenty four percent bracket married couple is about three forty. So in other words, there's about ninety thousand of room in their current bracket to stay in the twenty-four percent bracket. But they're
1: also let's well, don't forget the contribution. So minus forty grand. Oh, that's true. Right?
2: Yeah. That's true. Because
1: he's doing full four, uh, 457 tax deferred in her 401k right, right tax right. deferred.
2: So that's another 40, that's yeah. 60,
1: 280. So, that's, so
2: call it 210, 210 yeah, okay. we'll two t- yeah, okay, we'll call it 210. So we probably have 100, call it 100, 130,000 of room, right? To be able to do conversions. Well, 130,000, but what's the top of the 22? Top of the 22 so 100, is or 170. 170. Yeah, I, I see where are going and I like it. So they
1: could if they continue to contribute pre-tax right. and then they could convert to the top of whatever bracket they could yeah. get a little bit more precise yeah. you know with with not going into higher brackets right because there is no agi limitation to make roth conversions and the conversions that you make will not affect your roth ira contributions Right. That's true. So here here's just spitballing here, top of my head is that all right, I would I would have the husband fully fund the 401k pre-tax. I would have her fully fund the 401k pre-tax. Then I would do the 457 pre-tax, get the taxable income down as low as you possibly can. Then I would convert her IRA. Right. Up into the top of the twenty two. Or if she wanted to go into the twenty-four, she could do that too. But at least there's going to be a lot of room in the twenty-two, I
2: think. Well, wait a minute. No, we're hundred thousand off. The the top, they're eighty thousand. the top of the twenty two. Oh, I thought it was 170 okay. Right? okay. 280. 280 minus, I mean, we're probably going to get to just 220, let's just say. If if everything goes in Roth. Right. So we're in the twenty-four percent bracket. Got it. So either way, let's say they switch everything to
1: Roth or in the 24 if they stay pre-tax in the 24
2: e- Either way. So so is it a good idea to convert? Well, you can you can do this two ways, right? You can either convert what you already have or you can have your current dollars right from your pay go into a Roth, which is kind of the same impact. So the pro rata rules is that even though it came from a 401k plan, and let's say
1: you wanted to do a backdoor Roth. Well, if you already have an IRA, even though it came from a traditional 401k, since it's in an IRA, they're still going to count that as the pro rata rules. Right. But what you could do is you move that um, that IRA into your 401k, existing 401k. So you rolled it from a 401k into an IRA. Now you take the IRA, move it into your existing 401k, and now you do not have any IRAs. So you would then be eligible to do a backdoor Roth contribution if you wanted to. True. Then you would also be able to do conversions. So, but I would be careful with that Because depending, she's only 45 years old. So if I roll all of that money into the 401k plan, it's going to be hard for me to probably convert it out unless I do an in-service withdrawal, which I probably have access to because it's rollover money going into the plan.
2: Yeah. And and it depends upon the plan, right? It, it is easier to convert when it's your own IRA into a Roth, but many plans that have Roth options, even most maybe have a conversion opportunity. So you, you got to check that out. But I guess a couple more things I'm thinking is the fact that they're 45, they want to retire at 55 RMDs, requirement of distributions, won't start till age 72. So there's a lot of time to get this money in. On the other hand, another way to look at it is they're young. And if it stays in the deferred and they keep adding to the deferred, by the time they get to 72, it's going to be a gigantic number. Right. I just did the math. It's going to be about $3.2 million in all deferred. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm with you. They're in the 24% bracket, which is not a bad bracket, Right especially with at 45 with, right i mean at, because you have compounding tax-free right. growth is key you look at how much they've already saved at this age you, you look at they're going to have um, uh the retirement uh, plans from the university in addition to their own savings you look at that they're young all the all the growth on that uh the only only tricky part joe is there's there's very little money to pay the tax Right. Zero. So so that's 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 the mitigating factor here is you got to you got to figure out how to afford it. too. So
1: I think the easiest way to do it is to switch everything into Roth. I would go 100 percent after tax and convert that. Right. Because that's all contributions. There's not going to be a tax bill at the end of the day. Right, right. So if you're making Roth IRA contra Roth four hundred three b contributions, you're doing your Roth four hundred one k contributions. Yeah, right. You're still going to get the match in the four hundred one k. Just the match yeah. is
2: going to be pre tax. I, I like that too because then out of sight, out of mind. You have to worry about the tax. Yeah, you're not going to have a big tax. I, I like a conversion. You got to be able to make that tax payment.
1: So then they have, let's say forty eighty thousand dollars. Well, she has a brokerage account because she wanted the liquidity. Right. So you, you have a little bit of money there to pay the tax. A little so bit. maybe you slowly start converting some of this stuff out. Right. And, um, you know, you use up some of
2: the brokerage account, you know, to, to pay the tax. The only other thing I would say, and it wasn't a question, but I'll just make it anyway. If your kids are going to be going to college at the same time you retire, I can just tell you from experience that sometimes doesn't feel the best because all the savings seems like it's going to pay for college. So you might want to think of working either full time or part time while they go to college. Just, just my thoughts.
1: All right. Well, thanks uh, for the question and thanks uh, for the new uh, the new listenership. Um, Renee from Nashville
0: in which types of accounts you save for retirement matters. Properly locating those assets between your taxable, tax-deferred, and tax-free accounts can reduce how much tax you pay, thus improving the returns on your investments. Get our free guide on why asset location matters in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Just click the link in the description of today's episode in your favorite podcast app. If you still have questions, click the free assessment banner in the podcast show notes and schedule a comprehensive analysis of your entire financial plan with one of the experienced professionals on Joan Bigal's team at Pure Financial Advisors. It's free, just like the podcast, but it's also a comprehensive one-on-one deep dive into your financial situation tailored specifically to your needs. Schedule your assessment now before the year runs out.
2: Andy's playing her today. She is. <laughs> got, the, got the low voice going, Andy. Wolf-roover. Yeah, I,
0: uh, Aaron said that I sound like Lauren Bacall. So really? I'll take that as a compliment
2: Lauren Bacall. Yeah, that works I, for me. I can see that a little
1: bit of that. No idea who Lauren Bacall is. Yeah, oh yeah, my yeah.
0: gosh. <laughs> Who's Lauren Bacall? She, he, she was a famous actress. Uh, she acted with Humphrey Bogart quite often. So oh, they yeah. were, yeah, that they, they were back yeah, in the forties. Yeah. Way back
2: when, when you were in kindergarten. Yeah, I'm going to be watching that this Oh <laughs> uh, Yeah. And I had an MRI today. Yeah, I, I've not had one. I understand they're awful.
1: I, I got to admit, that was probably the worst 20 minutes of my life. That's almost wow. as bad as
0: this show. <laughs> you guys are such lightweights. I have so uh, many MRIs every year. Not a problem.
2: Oh, yeah. You're used to it. <laughs> oh my yep. God. I never had one, Andy. So I don't even oh, know. Oh, wow. To
0: to I've I, had I, enough I for heard, all
2: of us. I've heard from people like Joe that just said, worst 20 minutes of their life. Oh, yeah. give me this little button. He's like, man. <laughs> Is it like a panic button? Yeah. Push, yeah. push if you got
1: to get out? Yeah, if you got to get out, push this button. Uh, like 30 yeah, seconds in, I was like, oh, my God, I'm pushing push this damn thing. I'm yeah. Get me out of this thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go. We got John from Texas. He goes, hey, which episode number did you guys discuss advantages, disadvantages of doing a rollover uh, from an employer plan to an IRA? Many, but let me just quickly tell you the pros and cons. <laughs> so, if you have a 401k, there's pro, there, there's there's definitely pros to keep it in the 401k plan. Depending on the plan, of course, right? If it's a larger plan, and you you probably have a lot of options in the 401k plan. You can kind of do your research, and you know there's probably low cost index funds within the overall 401k plan. Uh, there's probably low fees, so why not just keep it in the plan? There's also a lot of advantages of rolling it into an IRA most people would probably roll it to the IRA just for a couple of reasons, just ease in, you know, if you have all these different 401k plans out there, so you work at four or five different employers and you have four or five different 401k plans. You know, the con of that is that you, like once you get older, you're going to have to start taking distributions from these accounts.
2: Every single one, every single one. Yeah. When it's a 401k, right. When it's an IRA, you can have 10 IRAs, but just one required minimum distribution when you're managing it. So how are you
1: rebalancing all four five, ten five, 10 different 401k accounts? It's really hard to kind of manage the risk when you have all these different accounts, unless you're an engineer and love spreadsheets. Right. Um, and if you really love mail, then by all means, because you're just going to get a lot of confirmations and a lot of statements and things like that. Or emails, if it comes in your email. (laughs) Sure. An IRA, you know, the pro there is that, okay, now you have the full universe of any investment that you want to pick. If you want to go into, you know, from crypto to treasuries, to individual stocks, to a globally diversified index portfolio. right? Uh, So you can have a very low cost, well-diversified portfolio in the IRA with the full universe of, of securities that is you know, offered out there. So that's probably the number one reason. Right. Number two is that you could consolidate all these different accounts into one. So if you had a 401k, a 403b in another IRA and whatever, you could put all of this into one account and it's easy to manage the overall risk in it because you're like, okay, I can look at one account versus 10 accounts, and say, hey, I might be too heavy in stocks or might be too light in stocks, so I can rebalance it. If I want to do Roth conversions, you know, you just take one from the IRA and you just move it to the Roth IRA. It's really easy to do it that way versus a 401k has to come in cash
2: and then you deposit it. So um, here's a couple of reasons not to roll. One is if you're going to, if it's a 401k and you're going to retire at, let's just say, age 55 or 56, 57, you keep the money in the 401k, you can actually take distributions. As long as you retire and you're at least 55 years of age, you can take distributions without the 10% penalty. Otherwise, you got to wait till 59 and a half.
1: Right. If you roll it into an IRA and you want to retire at 56, it's like, oh, you got to wait till 59 and a half. Or yeah. You gotta do like a 72 T tax, right. And it's kind of Which a pain in sloppy.
2: the ass. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's one thing. Another thing it doesn't apply to a lot of people, but if you've got company stock in a 401k, There's a strategy called net unrealized depreciation where you got to keep it in your 401k. And essentially what happens is on, on retirement, generally, you go ahead and distribute that stock out to your brokerage account and you only pay ordinary income tax on what you paid for the stock. And then when you sell the stock, you pay capital gains on that part which could save you a lot in taxes. If you have, if you're still working at
1: 72 and you have money into a 401k and you're still an active participant in the 401k plan, there is no required minimum distribution. Good point. So if you want to continue to work, you know, you would want to keep it in the 401k at that point. Or roll all your other ones into the 401k to avoid any type of required distributions because they, you know, your required beginning date doesn't start until April
2: 1st, the year after you retire or separate from service. Yeah. Um, besides all those things, most people roll from the 401k to an IRA just because of simplicity. It's in one place, they have a, a bigger universe of investment choices. That's probably very common.
1: Yeah. We just kind of crammed that whole show into three minutes. figure yeah, yeah. that
2: out. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go with uh,
1: Daniel. Uh, from Ohio, because this is an uh, off-the-wall tax question for us trying to maximize savings with the IRS mandating 1099s be issued for transactions made on eBay, Venmo, PayPal, and similar services. Should people selling old junk that can actually show real losses on sold items now report them as such and deduct a loss? If not. What is one supposed to do with the 1099? Can't wait for the day the IRS shows up to look through my garage sale items.
2: Got it. All okay. right.
1: So we got a garage sale. We got a hoarder. Yeah. It's yeah. selling some stuff. And it's like, all right, well, here, I bought this, you know, wonderful antique chest. Right. <laughs> Thirty years ago, for yeah. you know, five hundred dollars, and they're selling it for twenty-five bucks.
2: Yeah, okay. Can they pa- take the loss. <laughs> they, apparently, they lost money on it. So, well, first of all, ten ninety-nine. That that's what you get. That like like for example, if you're not necessarily an employee, but you're doing work for a company, you probably would get a ten ninety-nine, which is kind of the equivalent of a W two, meaning that yeah, I did some consulting services for you. You have you have to send me the company has to send me a ten ninety-nine couple thousand bucks whatever the number is I need to put that as income on my tax return. Here's something that not and everyone knows. Whether or not you get a 1099 you have to put it on your tax return and if you don't if, if the IRS audits you it's a big problem. So this is uh this has been kind of an underground economy I guess. For, right. For a so while. they're
1: selling stuff on eBay and not
2: reporting it. Yeah, you know, doing some work for, you right. know, the neighbor maybe, you know,
1: yeah. let me mow your yard yeah. and they're, they're paying them so, via Venmo.
2: Yeah. So so the answer is yes, you need to report that as income. Can you take the lot Well, first of all, why would you have a loss? Now, I could see where you you would. Typically, if you have a business that sells things on eBay, you buy something for 50 bucks and you sell it for 150. That would be a good business model. You have a profit motive and whatever your profits are, you pay taxes on it. Now, on the other hand, if you keep buying stuff for $50 and you sell it for $5, that's a $45 loss. If you truly have a profit motive then yes, it's deductible, but it's debatable whether you have a profit motive when you're consistently buying something at one price and selling it at a lot lower price. But I think his question is, is that he does or, or garage sales. So
1: let's say you have a garage sale. Yeah. I don't think anyone's selling the junk that they have in their garage sale yeah. for a
2: profit. Well, no, they're not at a profit. Yeah, that that's just that's just a loss. But I'm thinking But so if I'm, I, I, if I'm, I... Th- I'm thinking he buys it at a garage sale and tries to sell it for more, but that's a profit. Not a loss, unless he's trying to say, well, I bought this $10 vase that's really worth $150. Now, yeah, it's what you paid for. It's not the value. Anyway, the the basic rule is this. If you have a a for-profit business, if that's your motive and it's run like a business, right, then you can take those losses. If it's a hobby or just a little bit here and there, no, you can't take those losses.
1: Remember, I would share like the the stupidest purchases I've ever made in my life. Yeah, right. (laughs) Right. So when I, when I jo- um, purchased the um, tour uh, golf bag that is like bigger than this oh, studio, you can't even carry it, <laughs> can't even carry you it, can't even fit on a golf cart. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no other golf, car, uh, you know, no other golf bag could fit I mean, because this bag is <laughs> so big. space and it was very right. expensive. And right. I, and, uh, th- there's no way I'm ever bringing that thing on the golf cart. Right. It, and now it. it just sits in my garage and if yeah. I wanted to sell it, sure. let's say I bought it for, you know, $2,000 and yeah. I sell it now for 500.
2: Yeah. Can I take that loss? That's, but I'm not in business. That's a personal loss. It's never deductible. So now if you were in the business of selling <laughs> golf bags and you consistently did that, you would be out of business pretty quickly. Got it. Anyone want to buy my golf <laughs> bag? It's Cobra. It's, it's orange. <laughs> I'm and sure it's, it's beautiful. It's giant. You can You'll need a couple people to carry it.
1: Thousands. Uh, you could fit thousands of golf clubs in there.
0: Learn more last-minute tax-saving strategies before year-end in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Register now to join Big Al Clopine and me for a free webinar on charitable giving tomorrow, Wednesday, December 13th at noon Pacific time. You'll learn seven strategies to maximize the tax deduction you get when you give money to charity. Watch last month's webinar on end-of-year tax strategies and download the companion guides for both webinars, all for free, all courtesy of Your Money, Your Wealth and Pure financial advisors just click the link in the description of today's episode in your favorite podcast app go to the show notes register watch and download hitting the share button and passing all these resources on is a great way to say thank you
1: um hi knowledgeable joe oh you're the knowledgeable one <laughs> just big al i'm big Yeah, you're knowledgeable in ringmaster andy yes, yes indeed
0: right.
1: <laughs> been listening to your podcast forever and appreciate all your spitball analysis in comical banter. I drive a Ford F one hundred and fifty. That's probably one of the most popular. You know, Seems to be right. The Ford F one hundred and fifty. And then have you it, ever, have you ever owned a truck? I had a, 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 uh, a Wrangler. You did? Not, yeah, I had a Jeep Wrangler in college. Okay. I was really cool. That sounds like I, you. I took the doors off. No, no roof. Just <laughs> cruising around. It was one of those uh, schmucks, right? And um, yeah, and then I had a Ford
2: Ranger. Wow, yeah. you are cool. I had a yeah. Ford Mustang one. I know that, you did. that wasn't a, that wasn't oh, convertible. You were, you were red, red <laughs> convertible. That was it's my the same color as your hair. That was <laughs> that was my midlife crisis car <laughs> that lasted for a decade.
1: <laughs> I love that car. Oh, uh, I drive a Ford F one fifty. Have a bearded dragon lizard.
0: Check them oh. out. They're so cool.
2: Oh my god. Oh okay. Bearded dragon lizard. Do you have one of those? I don't. No, I me mean, no, either. No. I've never even seen one I, except I, at the zoo. Yeah.
1: I think Robert Rogers probably has one of those. Um <laughs> and enjoy top shelf margarita on the weekends. Okay. Oh, I thought for sure it was gonna be Jack Daniels on yeah the rocks. Me, me
2: too. F one
1: fifty. He's got a dragon, the <laughs> l- dragon lizard. Right. You know, come on. Uh, my question is whether or not my wife should start a Roth IRA and be, begin conversions. Um, would it be beneficial and take into consideration the five-year rule? Um, our info is we are both 66 old and retired. 22 marginal tax bracket, brokerage account, $3,400,000 in cash. My Roth is six fifty. My IRA is two hundred. My 401k is eight seventy five. My spouse's IRA is eight eighty. I've been doing conversions into my Roth about one hundred twenty-two thousand dollars this year. Should my wife also start Roth? Thanks much. Appreciate your guidance. Cheers to you.
2: Yeah, why not? I mean, you're almost out of IRAs. Yeah, they have. Looks like they. Yeah, well, he's got a big four hundred one k as the and she's got a big IRA. So, so yeah. I mean, I think the the answer is kind of what we typically say. They're both sixty
1: six. So They're he's both, got a brokerage account yeah. of three million.
2: Right. So he's got 875. She's got
1: 880. So, and they're both the same age. So, yeah, so, if well, how we look at Roth conversions via spouses is that the older spouse should do
2: conversions first. Bingo, because they have to take the required distributions first.
1: So, it doesn't necessarily
2: matter in this scenario. Right.
1: You know, unless, because let's say, um, who's this? Uh, this is Buddy. Buddy. So, if, if Buddy passes, right? His IRA is going to go into a spousal IRA. So it's going to just transfer into his spouse's IRA. And so now the spouse is going to be at a single tax bracket. So it's all, it's going to be combined into one anyway. Sure. So in their individual account, so if she does a Roth conversion versus he does a Roth conversion, it's still going to show up on the tax return the same. And if she passes, his her IRA is going to go into his. So, I mean, you, you just want to kind of keep chipping away at it. But in my opinion, unless I'm totally missing something, because I just got out of a tube. <laughs> my brain, are, you, are you still hearing it, things? My, my, it, <laughs> my brain is still a little little mushy. Got it.
2: But I don't know. I don't think it matters to you. I don't think it matters at all. I think it's a personal preference. I think what does matter is your tax bracket. So what you're saying, you're probably you're in the 22% bracket the conversions 122,000 i'm assuming maybe you're getting into the 24% bracket which is still a great bracket go up to the top of that why not you've got plenty of non-qualified money non-qualified non-retirement money to pay for the tax you've got a couple thousand dollars in deferred 66 that's going to be you know at 72 that's going to be worth 3 million. So the RMDs would be 120,000. If you can start chipping away at those Roth conversions, which you're already doing, but in a, maybe a bigger manner because you've got a lot of money to pay the tax and can afford it. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. I mean,
1: the only, I guess we could talk divorce,
2: you know, well, I I wasn't going to go there, but but okay. Since you brought it up. So here's, here's one thing you might think like, like, let's say you're in a couple, and the relationship is not that stable. If one party, hus- let's say husband, husband does all the Roth conversions, and by the time they split, he gets his accounts, you gets your account, you get your accounts, but his are in Roth, and you paid the taxes jointly. Now you should get credit for that, but it doesn't always happen.
1: No, I mean a lot of times they yeah. miss it. It's like here, here's my account, it's eight eighty. Yeah. Here's your account, it's eight eighty. Yeah, same, same. And, and then we're even gonna, even though one's a Roth, and right, has an exactly. That that eight eighty. Of her 401k <laughs> is nowhere near the value of the 880 yeah. and the Roth. That Agreed. that that 401k is really only worth probably you know six hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. You know. Oh, and then we're we're gonna split the three million. Yeah, you know, you, I, I'll take 1.5. You take 1.5, and, and we're fine. Yeah, see but, you later. I'm gonna, gonna take that, my
2: lizard. Split the house. I'll, <laughs> I'll take the lizard. Gonna, <laughs> you
1: take the, you <laughs> take the house. I'm gonna take the <laughs> dragon lizard and my margarita. And get loaded yeah. up
2: the Ford F150 and get the hell out of town. Now I'm sure that's not Buddy's situation. We're, we're just talking hypothetically. Well, yes, but another is that it makes no difference.
1: But we have, you know, some clients where. Well, why does she have all the Roth and I don't have the Roth and this and that? Once they get educated, it, uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But maybe they want to see Roth on, on their statement as right. well. So right. th- that's true. We do see that. Okay. Thanks for that email, buddy. Okay. Okay. Cruising along here. All right. What do we got? Jerry from Boca Raton. Hey, guys. Love your show. Great info and a lot of wit mixed into it. Uh, Wit, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Mixed in. Time time to time. Time to time. Sometimes (laughs) it's just nonsense. Two questions. First, you have a taxable account funded with $500,000 that grows to a million dollars. You retire and withdraw $100,000. How are the tax calculated? Half of the account was already taxed. Second, sold my house, have cash in the bank, and need it on hand for the next few years. Everyone is telling me to buy short-term CDs and use online banks, but I thought if I buy eight, week treasuries yielding over 4% right now and do it five or six times a year. I can earn 20,
2: 24% on that money in a year, or am I wrong? Thanks, Jerry. Uh, Jerry, you're probably wrong. So (laughs) so first of all, a a 4%, an eight week, Treasury yielding 4%. That's an annualized rate. Yes. So, in other, in other words, per annum. It, now, I know you won't hold it for a year, but if you did hold it for a year, that's what it would pay 4%. So, if you're holding it for eight years, that's less than two months. So, it's less than two twelfths of that is actually what you're going to get. And then he's got a 500000 and it's worth a million. So, how does he pay taxes on it? Yeah. Well, so the, presumably that's in the stock market, right? Or some, some kind of investment. So, when you sell, so let's just say you have one investment right now to make it really simple. I'll do this quickly. So so when you sell that investment, then you know, let's just say, $20,000. So half of that's taxable and half of that's return to capital. On the other hand, here's a smarter way to do it. You is can you pick your basis. Pick, pick your ba- yeah, certain stocks will have less gain. Sell those first to pay less gain up front and your bigger gains will do those later. Right. Yeah, you could pick your basis and
1: say, all right, well, here, this mutual fund or this share mutual fund has the lowest gain, so I'm going to sell that. Or if I'm in a lower tax bracket, this has the highest gain, so I'm going to sell that and reduce my taxes there. Definitely. So you, you can pick and choose on how you sell that. Um, it's not 100% pro rata.
0: Alright, question for you. What did you think about having the derails right there in the body of the episode rather than waiting until the very end? Email me, andy.last at purefinancial.com. That's a-n-d-i dot last just like the opposite of first at purefinancial.com and let me know. Speaking of what you think if you're a fellow podcaster or if you're just interested in the YMYW behind the scenes, I wrote a blog post about how we've grown the podcast which you can read in the podcast show notes. Just click the link in the description of today's episode in your favorite podcast app. TLDR, this show is what we make it, all of us together. And listening to you, the listeners, is what makes this show a show. So thank you. Your Money, Your Wealth is presented by Pure Financial Advisors. Click the Get an Assessment button in the podcast show notes at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257 and schedule a free financial assessment in person at one of our seven offices around in the country or online at a date and time convenient for you, no matter where you are. Chances are one of the experienced financial professionals at Pure will be able to identify strategies to help you create a more successful retirement. Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision.